What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Good evening, everyone. Happy Monday. It doesn't feel like a Monday to me, but happy Monday. It felt like a Sunday all day because we weren't in trial today. Welcome back to Jay is for Justice. My name is Jay, and I am your host. This is part two of Stephen Bertolino's deposition. And Potato has joined us, and she is on camp today. Yay. Yes. Hello. Hello, beautiful Potato. How is your Monday? It's Mondaying. It's almost over. It's almost Tuesday for you. So so we left off on page 70 and welcome everybody. Thank you moderators for being here. All of the greens, I see you. Thank you for being here. We are back in court tomorrow and I see Jess is here. Jess is going to be in court this week. She can let you guys know in chat when she'll be there and giving us updates on the Adam Montgomery trial. All right, so the guilty pleasure begins. Write me out. Mr. Riley, would you like to continue depositioning Mr. Bertolino? Mr. Bertolino, did you advise the Laundry family not to have any contact with Gabby's family? Indirectly, yes. What do you mean indirectly? My instructions to Chris and Roberta were not to talk to anyone. Okay. That included their daughter, Cassie. Did you take into consideration all the facts that the Petito family was looking desperately for their daughter? I object to the form. You can answer. Yes, I did. But my role as their attorney was to look out for their best interest. Did you give any consideration to the fact that Gabby's body was out in the wilderness for weeks unprotected? I object to the form. How would I know that her body was out in the wilderness when I'm giving them that advice? Okay, you knew she was gone according to what Chris had told you, right? What I knew was that Chris told me, Brian told him, Gabby was gone. Right, and in your mind... You interpreted it as a possibility that she was deceased, correct? That's correct. And you knew that he had been out of the Jackson area, correct? He and Gabby had been in the Jackson area. Wait, wait. I have to make for the record. To the extent it calls for you to disclose something that Brian told you, you can't discuss that based on attorney-client privilege. But if your knowledge is based on something that Chris and Roberta told or some other source, you can answer the question. I cannot answer the question based on the attorney-client privilege. But you told me earlier that Chris told you that Brian was... Chris suspected that it was Jackson. I don't think that was Chris's testimony, but that's fine. What was your concern in advising Chris and Roberta not to have any conversation with Gabby's family? I object to the form. I never specifically said, don't talk to Gabby's family. What I specifically told them to do was not to talk to anybody. And specifically, if anyone knocks on your door, 
You give them my number. Why did you tell them not to talk to their daughter, Cassie? Pretty much for the same reason I told them not to talk to Brian, is that I knew enough as an attorney, as most of us should, that you don't want one party talking to another party. So what I didn't want happening is whatever Chris and Roberta were feeling or doing or knowing or talking with Brian because I was not in that house 24 hours a day. I did not want them communicating something accurate, inaccurate, true, false, or otherwise to anyone outside of the household. And as I stated, because my feeling was anyone in that house is now going to be the focus of an investigation. Do you know if Brian spoke with Cassie? I do not know. Well, let me rephrase that. I know it now that Cassie went to Fort DeSoto. I knew it. That's not true. I learned of it after it occurred that Cassie had gone to Fort DeSoto. I'm sorry. And Brian was there. Did you know prior to the Fort DeSoto trip that they were going to take that trip? They actually called and asked permission. Chris had called me. And I don't know what day it was. He said something to the effect like he had bought a new camper. I think it was Labor Day weekend. Him and Roberta had plans to spend the weekend there pre-reservation. Roberta had canceled them, but they could go for a day. He wanted to make sure that the camper was operational, functional. And was it okay if they went to Fort DeSoto? And it kills me because I know that's been a big deal. But I specifically told them that you can do whatever you normally do. Just keep them close and keep them safe. And he told me Brian was going with him. And I said, that's fine. Just keep them close. Did you know Cassie was going? I did not. Chris Laundrie testified that he gave you a check for $25,000. Is that correct? He did. Okay. And what was that check for? That check was to retain the services of Fleener and Peterson in Wyoming. Have you received any retainer for your present representation of the laundries throughout this? No. I'm going to hand you what has been marked Exhibit 1. Exhibit 1, at the bottom it says SBP 00664. So this is something that I received through your document production. Okay. The first page is an email exchange between you and attorney Thomas Fleener, correct? It appears to be. And then attached to it is a representation agreement with Fleener and Peterson LLC. Is that correct? Yes. Did you enter into a fee agreement with Fleena Peterson, LLC? And it's funny because as you read this, as we are, most of us are attorneys in this room. The terminology in here has me as the client. And if you would like, I can tell you how that came about. Please do. I was going to ask you anyway. Because at the time when I was speaking with several attorneys in Wyoming and wound up with Fleena Peterson, I didn't know much, and it was very vague as to what was going on. And I said, I will need to present this to Chris and Roberta at some point because I need to get the money. I need to see your retainer agreement. My understanding, and it's funny because I don't think I ever looked at this thing until somewhat recently. I was like, oh, look, they have me on here. My recollection was that I had said to Tom, send me over a retainer agreement 
so we can figure out what it is your schedule would be, and he put my name on it. And if you look on page two, he actually signed it electronically, if you will, on the 31st of August. And I signed it on the 2nd of September because he signed it and sent it over to me. So I would have had had it for review and, if necessary, execution. To your knowledge, was there ever subsequently a fee agreement entered into between Fleena Peterson, LLC, and Brian Laundrie? This was to be that agreement. This was for Brian Laundrie's representation. Representation in a potential criminal matter? Yes. And this fee agreement was just four or five days after you first spoke with Chris Laundrie, correct? It was the 29th to the 2nd. If you want to say execution date is the date I signed it, sure. Okay. Did the Laundries ever get, and by the Laundries I mean Chris and Roberta, ever retain counsel? Yes. Who did they retain? I believe his first name is, his last name is Jofi. I want to say Roy. I don't remember his first name. Why did they retain attorney Jofi? You want the long answer? Sure. So Gabby's remains were discovered on the 20th, I believe. The 19th, I misspoke. On the 19th, and obviously on the 20th, the press was having many thoughts and conversations. And there was a lot of misinformation out there with respect to the laundries. And I wanted to clear it up. I spoke to Chris and Roberta about this, and I said, we need to set forth what happened, at least from their perspective. And I scheduled a press conference. I believe it was for the 21st. I got a call from the FBI and they indicated to me, and I won't say no uncertain terms, but they indicated to me in terms that they were clear that I should not have that press conference. I had my suspicions as to why, and they indicated that if I went forward with the press conference, that they were going to arrest Roberta and put her through a full perp walk, including but not limited to, statements in front of the cameras and everything else. And I discussed that with. That came from Brian Gee, the New York agent I was dealing with. I discussed it with Roberta, and we were at a loss as to what they could possibly be charging her with. And I had, I don't want to misspeak, but I believe I had back-to-back-and-forth conversations with Brian Gee as to what. What is here? And he could not tell me. All he would tell me was that he believed it was something electronic. It was something that they believed Roberta had done with electronics. And the only thing that we could come up with was that Roberta accompanied Brian to the cell phone store. And as I said to Mr. Gee, I had at the time a 25-year-old daughter who I go to the cell phone store with. I do many things with my young daughter that you would that you would think a young adult would be able to do themselves. If that's what you're charging her with, that she went to the store and bought him a cell phone, Roberta will do the perp walk. And Roberta told me in no uncertain terms, I will put my head down and do the perp walk because I have nothing to give them. So not being admitted into Florida, as you know, I needed to now get a Florida criminal attorney for Chris and Roberta. So I once again hit the books, if you will, and came across somebody I thought would be a good fit, and that was Mr. Jofi. And we met with him in Orlando. And upon meeting with him, 
he required, as you would imagine, a retainer. And Chris and Roberta retained Mr. Jofi. Did Special Agent Gee confirm with you that that was the electronic issue they had with Roberta? He did not. He could not. I won't say he would not. He could not. He did not know. And he referred me to the Tampa office for the life of me. I don't know who I spoke to in Tampa, but they referred me to Nicole Romine, the assistant U.S. attorney out in Denver, who I believe was handling the investigation in Wyoming. And I spoke to Miss Romine on the 23rd or 24th of September when I asked Miss Romine what exactly they were looking to charge because I, know, I wanted to know that as her attorney, she could not tell me and her response was pretty much whatever they could figure out, anything they could find. And my response was, bring it on, because if your case is that weak, if no one in New York, Tampa, or Denver can explain to me under what statute, state, federal, or otherwise, you're going to charge Roberta with, good luck. But you did cancel the press conference, correct? I did cancel the press conference. What was the purpose of the press conference? As I said, we felt there were things that were being put out there that were totally inaccurate some of which by your clients and some of which by Northport Police Department, some of which we had no control over and we felt it would be a good, it would be good to put those misconceptions to bed. What were those misconceptions? That Chris and Roberta knew certain things. That Chris and Roberta were assisting Brian to leave the country. That Chris and Roberta were using burner phones to communicate with Brian. All kinds of wonderful, full things that they were assisting him on going on the Appalachian Trail. Many, many things. Why did Brian need a new phone? I have no idea. And I believe you said that was the 19th, September 19th, when you have the conversation with Brian Gee, correct? No, I believe it was the 20th. Well... Just to be clear, I've had many conversations with Brian Gee. So if you're talking about the one with the press conference. Yes, forgive that's what I'm talking about. Forgive me. I did not brush up on the dates before I got here. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I truly did not. Perhaps I should have. My recollection was Gabby's remains were discovered on the 19th. On the 20th, I think the announcement came that it was definitely her and the public, the press, Everybody was going crazy against the laundries. And I just, I felt it needed, something needed to be said to clear the air, if you will. At least as far as we could with respect to Chris and Roberta. Is that the first time that you became aware there was a possible investigation regarding Chris and Roberta? That was the first time. You used the word possible. That was the first time I knew that they were looking to charge somebody with something. When I say somebody, I mean Chris and Roberta. As I stated several times earlier this morning, it was clear in my mind that if Chris and Roberta were living in that house with Brian, with possessions in the house, in the van out front, that they were going to be the focus of an investigation. Okay. I'm going to hand you what's been marked as Exhibit 2. Again, the first page is an email from, I'm guessing, Chris Laundry as Chris Juiceman to you, dated September 29th of 2021. 
and the remaining five pages, this is Bates stamped SB600676 to 00681. Those last five pages are a fee agreement with attorney Joe Fee, correct? Yes. Attorney Joe Fee specializes in federal criminal practice, does he not? I do not know. Okay. When did you learn that Brian had left the home? The Monday, the 13th. So you said you learned Monday, September 13th. 2021. How did you learn that? Had a telephone call. All of my communications were with Chris. And I'm going to say, and or Roberta. I'm sure I had many that day with them. And at one point, they had told me that Brian had left in the morning and went out for a hike. And I apologize. I was looking at something when you were giving part of your testimony. Did you say what time of the day you they called you? As I said, Mr. Riley, I spoke to them multiple times a day during that period of time. Why were they calling you to tell you that he went out on a hike? Well, you missed the day, which was the 12th. Okay. Tell me about the 12th. So, as I said to you, on the 11th, I got a phone call from Chris late afternoon, early evening. Later on that evening, somewhere between 9 and midnight, I got a call from Tracy Berry, detective in the Suffolk County Police Department. And somewhere around 1 or 2 a.m., I got a call from, I believe his first name was Chris. I don't know his last name. An FBI agent who I suspect, just being familiar with the situation, that Detective Barry would have reached out to the FBI and said, hey, we're getting nowhere. We need some involvement here with the FBI. And I get a call at 12 o'clock in the morning from the FBI agent. Agent where? I believe it was in New York. Okay, it wasn't Brian Gee? It was not. What did he say to you? Very similar to what Detective Barry said to me, is that he had got a call. Detective Barry said she got a call from Northport. This FBI agent said he had received a telephone call from Detective Barry. They were starting an investigation as to a missing person, and they're concerned that Brian is presumably home with a van and Gabby's not with him. And I said to him, I have been at a bachelor party up in Mohegan Sun in Connecticut on a van with a bunch of friends, and now we're driving home. I was literally on the side of the road, I-95, coming home at a rest area when I got the call, and I said I could not talk. He called me back a little bit later, which was about 2.30, if I recall, and we had gotten back to Bayshore, and I said, listen, it's almost three o'clock in the morning. I was not drunk, but I was not talking to him at 3 a.m. I said, why don't you call me at eight o'clock and I'll speak with my clients. And that was on Sunday, the 12th. To speak with your clients about what? Which clients? I needed to speak to all three of them because Chris had called me on the evening before. So I needed to convey to them that I had now been contacted by the FBI and I needed to speak to Brian, of which I cannot divulge here today. 
due to attorney-client privilege that Brian holds. And just to let Chris and Roberta know that the FBI was now investigating. Did they say what they were investigating? They were investigating the filings of a missing persons for Gabby Petito. This was about 8 or 9 a.m. on Sunday the 12th. Okay. Did you say Chris or Roberta called you about Brian leaving? I don't recall saying either one of them called me. Because, Mr. Riley, I do not recall every single conversation who called who. I could tell you. Chris would generally text me and say, please call me. And when I could, I would call him back. I presume I had multiple conversations with them on the 13th. I know it was early in the day. Whether it was late morning or early afternoon, I do not recall. But it was early in the day that Chris informed me that Brian went out for a hike. I believe Roberta was present on that phone call. So what was the significance? Why did they feel they had to call you and tell you that Brian went for a hike? Objection to the form. Once again, your question is not correct. You're saying that they called me. I already told you I don't remember who called who. But we were definitely communicating on that day, as one would expect, when the police and the FBI are knocking at your door. All right. Fair enough. So in that conversation, it was at that point, it was just simply informational. Yes, because every conversation, and if I missed one, maybe one, every conversation was to keep him close, keep him safe. How is he? What's going on? What are you doing? How's the dynamic? So on the 13th, when I spoke to them in the early part of the day, what's going on? What's happening? At some point, did it become a concern that Brian didn't come home? It was that evening on the 13th we spoke again, and I was informed by, I don't remember who, Chris or Roberta, probably both, that Brian did not come home and they were concerned. They were extremely concerned. And you're certain it was the 13th and not the 14th? Absolutely. Why are you certain? Because the only thing I was uncertain was when I conveyed that information to Brian Gee at the FBI. And at the time, not only was I talking to Chris and Roberta, I'm sorry, Mr. Riley, am I interrupting you? No, go ahead. I'm listening. I'll wait till you're done. No, please continue. No, because I don't want you to tell me that you weren't paying attention. I'm paying attention. I'm looking at questions from my clients. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? You're Mr. Riley. Could you repeat the last question, please? That it was the 13th, not the 14th? Because I've had this conversation multiple times with various either press people and the FBI. And the only thing I was uncertain of was whether I told Brian Gee on Monday night or Tuesday night or Tuesday morning that Brian didn't come home last night or Brian didn't come home tonight. And I know that because I've said that publicly. 
I don't know which day I told them, but I know I told them. And in my subsequent conversations with the FBI, I was specifically told, Steve, you're fine with that. We are good. There is no issue on our side with the date that Brian left. And honestly, I don't think Brian Gee remembered. And if you really want me to go further, I think that was the confusion. I don't think Brian Gee ever conveyed conveyed that to the people in Florida. And that was the problem. Do you recall telling people he actually left on the 14th? I do. So I'm going to show you what's been marked as Exhibit 3. Exhibit 3 is an email exchange or text exchange. I'm not sure. I guess text. Between you and someone named Jody Goldberg. Do you know who Jody Goldberg is? I recall she's a reporter somewhere. And if you look at the last page, it says, please confirm parents last saw Brian Tuesday morning. This is a text sent to you on the 17th at 8.45 p.m. Please confirm parents last saw Brian Tuesday morning. And your reply was, Brian was last seen by his parents on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Tuesday morning, the 14th. I agree. So this was only three days after that, correct? I agree. Now you're saying you were mistaken when you said that. No, I didn't say that. Okay. I asked you how you were certain it was the 13th, yet three days later you're telling people it was the 14th. Your question to me was now you're saying you're mistaken. That's not what I'm saying. I did say it was the 14th. And the reason that came about is because on the 17th, there was new things happening. And when I was speaking with Roberta about what day Brian left, Roberta was adamant that it was the 14th. And we went back and forth and I said, are you sure? And she said, yes, it was the 14th. Now, I'm not sitting in that house. I didn't know. I recall that it was Monday. And some reporter somewhere texted me or emailed me, probably text, and said, Steve, could you double check that? Because we have video footage of the Mustang in the driveway on Wednesday. And the time frame had to be reconstructed with Roberta that Monday Brian had left. Monday night, Chris went to look for him alone. Tuesday morning, Chris and Roberta went together to look for him and saw the Mustang and the we're going to tow you note on the car. And on Wednesday, they went back to the reserve to retrieve the car and put it in the driveway. So based upon those three things, Chris looking at night on night one, Chris and Roberta going day two together, and day three retrieving the Mustang with the Mustang being in the driveway on Wednesday, as shown to us by the press footage. I went back to Roberta and I said, Roberta, are you sure? We need to know that it was Monday. And Roberta said to me, I don't know, Steve. You know, the days were all blending in together. And they were locked in their house, being bombarded with press, being bombarded with protesters 24 hours a day with absolutely no help from the Northport Police Department. Perhaps even some encouragement. And she just didn't know which day was which. And then when we clarified it to the press, 
I told them that same story, that this was just Roberta who had made a mistake. And when I went back to the FBI, as you told as you told you a few minutes ago, I was specifically told by the FBI it was not an issue with them, that they were good. And honestly, that's all I cared about. I didn't care that the press got one day wrong and whether it was from Roberta or me. The bottom line was the FBI was good with it. I was good with it. Let me show you what was marked as Exhibit 5. There is a text message exchange between you and Brian Gee starting on September 17th, and this is marked SBP0000313133. If you look on the last page on September 24th of 2021, there is a text from you that says, and I know this is a, I think you copied and pasted it from Roberta. It says, my credit card shows we went to Echo Farm on Saturday, September 11th. Monday the 13th, we three went to Nokomis Beach. And then you wrote again, I think you cut and pasted that. Does that make sense? Yes. Then you wrote, good morning, Brian. The previous text is what I received from, the, from Roberta Laundry last night. Based on Roberta's recall and my recollection, I'm going to hold firm that it was Tuesday that he went to the reserve and either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning that I spoke with you and advised that Brian did not come home. Although I believe it was Tuesday evening. Correct? Did I read that correctly? Perhaps, yes. So Roberta said that she checked her credit card and she's certain they were in Nokomis Beach on the 13th, correct? In this text, yes. Or did she subsequently change that? She had no need to change it. And quite frankly, I don't recall you asking her the questions. But I can tell you, in her deposition, but I can tell you that we spoke about this and Roberta was wrong on all of her dates. And if I'm wrong here today telling you the day I spoke to Brian Gee, and in the end, Mr. Riley, when the FBI told me they were good with it, I was good with it because that was all that mattered to me was that the FBI was good, not necessarily the press. But I will tell you that Roberta corrected those dates. And my understanding is that it had something to do with something being closed on Sunday. And you would have to ask Roberta exactly how she corrected it or how she, let me rephrase that. You would have to ask Roberta directly how she came about correcting it with us because she wasn't given that opportunity with you. Let's turn to Exhibit 7. Exhibit 7 is your document on your letterhead dated September 14th of 2021 regarding Miss Petito, correct? Correct. Did you write this note, statement? I did. Did you have approval from the laundries before the statement was issued? I did. Did the laundries review the statement before it was issued? I believe they did. What was the purpose in issuing this statement? At that time, on that day, and look, 
I'm pausing so I can keep my composure because I don't mean to be nasty. That's not my goal here. It's not. But you represent your side and I represent my side. And at the time that this was given, my clients were going through hell. And I know that's a problem for the other side to understand, to even comprehend that the other side could be going through hell too. They had throngs of of public with bullhorns. They had press. And to my knowledge, some of it was being pushed upon by your clients, okay? And I read their text messages in the discovery, and they were gloating all over it. Oh, let's get more people out there. And they were successful. And I don't fault them for it. They should have done all of that to find their daughter. I don't truly fault them for it. But from my chair, from my role in this unfortunate saga, I had to represent my clients. And they were being threatened. Death threats beyond compare. Now, your side wasn't getting that. They were getting sympathy. They were getting help, as they should have. But my clients, Chris and Roberta, did not deserve what was happening to them. And they were going through hell. And the reason I can pin down that Brian left on the 13th is because I said to Brian Gee, would you have come home? Would you have come home with what you saw on the block? I don't know if Brian came home that night, made a left turn onto the block and saw everyone publicly, saw everyone, saw what everyone saw publicly happening outside his home. But what I said to the FBI Monday night or Tuesday morning, what would you do? Would you want to walk in that crowd? So on Tuesday the 14th, when the crowd kept getting bigger, bigger, and the anger kept brewing, and the hostilities were growing, and the death threats were coming in by the dozens to my client's house, to my office, to my staff, outside my office, to my children, you need to understand. And maybe your clients never want to understand. This was a difficult time for two families. My clients were going through hell, and this needed to be conveyed. And I consulted with my clients on this letter. And I consulted with Fleener and Peterson out in Wyoming. And we all agreed something, anything needed to be said. Because to remain silent would have smacked of indifference. Hey, we don't even care. I know. Look at your smirk. We don't care. We did care. You kept silent for... Excuse me. I'm not done with my answer. Counselor, I'm not done with my answer You'll have your turn. Go ahead. Continue. So you want to know what the purpose was? The purpose was, in some way, in some small way, to let the public know, hey, this is a difficult time for two families, for both sides here. And the second paragraph was to let them all know we knew. We, being myself, Chris, and Roberta, in that small environment. It is our understanding, and I can tell you, I made a phone call to Tom Fleener and I had asked him this. Do you know where this investigation is going? Because it was very fuzzy on the news. All we knew on our end, all we knew was that somewhere out there, there was an investigation starting. And I called Fleener and Peterson and I spoke to Tom. You just have to be careful what you spoke to them about. Well, this is on there. And I said, Do you know where the investigation is taking place? And his response was, no, man, we don't. We've been watching TV. We don't know. They think it was near Bridger Teton. And that's where we got the second part from, is that we believed 
And that's what it says. It is our understanding that a search had been organized for Miss Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. And the second sentence in that second paragraph is that Chris and Roberta were truly hopeful, truly hopeful that that search would be successful, as was I. So yes, the purpose of the statement was written to let the public know, to let the press know, to let the hooligans outside of their house, to let every individual who was threatening to kill us, including, as I learned, some people from your side, on your side of the table, to let them know this is difficult for us. And we truly hope, we truly hope that your success brings Gabby back. And if that meant dead or alive, as in reunited, that's what it meant. We were hopeful that she would be found alive. And the last part, Mr. Riley, is to let the public know, as I've said numerous times publicly, and I do not shy away from this, on the advice of counsel, Chris and Roberta were remaining silent. As any attorney, as any layperson who has watched television would know, shut up and don't say anything. I know in your world, you would have preferred that we stay silent. And that would have not been any good either. And as we looked at it, as though silence would have been indifferent, a total screw you. We don't care. And I understand that that's how this letter was taken. And I'm sorry for that, but that's not what the purpose of the letter was for. And now it's your turn. To quote you, to remain silent would have smacked of indifference, but you remained silent for 17 days or longer. I object to the form. Right? Say that again. In your words, to remain silent would have smacked as indifference, but you expressed that indifference from August 29th until September 14th. So why this date? I'm, I'm lost. 19. Am I on the wrong page? 106? 105. Sorry. Because the crowds and the hordes of people that were threatening myself, and more importantly, threatening Chris and Roberta outside their own home, 24 hours a day, began on the 13th, and that's why this letter was written on the 14th, to try to tone that down a little bit if possible. But you don't think that silence smacked of indifference from August 29th until September 14th? I object to the form. There were two things with that. Number one, Chris and Roberta did not have any information to share. Number one. And if they did have information, it was very little, such as maybe the phrase Gabby is gone. What are we going to do with that? And any information that I may or may not have had, I could not share either. Well... Gabby is gone, would have been helpful to let the family know that she was no longer living, most likely. And number two, that the phone call had come from Jackson. It would have given the family an idea of where to look. Wouldn't you agree? No, I don't. Because if I would have went out there and say Chris and Roberta believe that Brian was in Jackson, right? And let's say he was in Yellowstone. You would be suing us for giving you false information. You would be suing us and saying you pointed us in the wrong direction. And had we said, oh, she's gone, you would have said, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? We didn't know what it meant. 
you knew what it meant. He came home with her van. All of her possessions were in the van. She was not with him. You knew she was dead. Right? Oh, that's you. Chris, (laughs) I object to the form. Right? Chris and Roberta did not know, and anything that I may or may not have known would have been attorney-client privilege with Brian. So how did you believe this statement was going to calm the crowd outside your client's home? It was meant to convey what the laundries Chris and Roberta could say at that moment, which was not much other than to let people know, hey, we're going through a difficult time here too. Our son walked out the door. We may not have known for sure he was going to kill himself, but that was certainly a suspicion in the back of our minds. So now they just lost their son. We didn't know what to do with that. We didn't know what to do with law enforcement and we're stuck here in this situation with all these people outside ready to kill us. Who was that statement addressed to? Is it to Gabby's family or to the public? It was addressed. I'm sorry. You can answer. The statement was addressed to the public, to the press, and yes, I suspected it would reach the Petito family. You were expressing your hopes, so I would think it was intended to address the Petito family, correct? I object to the form. That particular phrase was a general phrase that we had hoped that the search would be successful. Conveying that to the public, to the press, to the angry protesters with their pitchforks and burning at the stake mentality that were threatening my clients, threatening me, my staff, and my children as well. By the way, you mentioned that someone on my side of the table threatened to kill someone. Who did that? I don't know, but if Rick Stafford is honest, we'll find out. What does that mean? Rick Stafford told me explicitly, explicitly. Told you what? That there were people on his side that wanted to kill us. Kill who? Myself, Chris, and Roberta. And when he told me that, he was so upset how hard it was on his side, how difficult this was for him to restrain. You don't know, Steve. You don't know how hard it is on my side to restrain these people from what they want to do to prevent this from getting worse. My response to that, counselor, was try being on my side. Try being on my side when the whole world has your clients, who has your clients back wants to kill us. Try being in my shoes, Mr. Stafford, and you tell me if it's tough for you to prevent your client from executing their desire to kill me and my clients. You want sympathy from a family whose daughter is missing. I don't want sympathy. I want parity. I don't want any sympathy. Are you suggesting that what you were going through is similar to what the Petito family went through? No. I'm not saying it was similar. It was different, but it was traumatic nonetheless. And it was instigated in part by your clients. And I want to repeat myself, Mr. Riley, because you may find this hard to believe. I do not fault your clients for doing what they did. I do not. If I were Joe Petito, I would have done the same thing. And I was looking for him at the beach last week because I heard he goes to the beach afterwards. I didn't know he went home, and if I found him on the beach, I would have sat down and talked to him if he would allowed if he would have allowed it. The bottom line is, this is not about what we wanted to. 
The bottom line is this is not about what we wanted to do. This was happening to two sides, two families. I happen to be on the bad side of that. When did you learn from Mr. Fleener that the search was going on in the Grand Teton National Park area? Hang on. So again, I guess I could answer. Sure. I'm sure, Mr. Riley, if you review the record, you'll see that I did not say I learned from Mr. Fleener that the search was going on. What I said was we had learned, I believe, from the newscasts. I recall seeing it on the news. But the newscasts were not conveying exactly where the search was. All we knew is that it was happening somewhere out there. And I reached out to Fleener and Peterson to try to see if the news they were seeing was more definitive to find out where they were looking. And they didn't know. Let me rephrase my question. From whom did you find out that there was a search organized in or near Grand Teton National Park? I saw it on television. The newscasts were playing it. When was that? It probably would have been the day either. I don't know. I want to say the 13th. I probably would have. It probably would have been the morning of the 14th on one of the newscasts. And this was not because I suspect where you're going with this. This was not, quote, the formal announcement that a formal search is being conducted. This was the newscast saying, I'll use the term hodgepodge. And that's my own term. Not one they put out. That there was a group of people that there was a search being commenced out west somewhere. At or around the time this was mentioned, that's when Brian disappeared, correct? He had left on Monday. This statement of September 14th, 2021, was this issued on behalf of yourself? No, it was not, but I don't shy away from it. It was issued on behalf of my clients. It says, on behalf of the Laundry family, it is our hope. Yes, meaning Chris and Roberta, as in plural. You didn't think you were included in that, our hope? You know, I've racked my brain on that question since the moment you brought it up. And I will tell you, I was present when you said to, I believe it was Judge Carroll. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it was Judge Carroll. And you said these words. And I left that courtroom thinking, if only he knew. You said to Judge Carroll, quote, if this was sincere, we wouldn't be here. And my thought at that moment was, if you only knew how sincere this letter was, if you only knew, if you could, if only you could experience what we were going through on our side, had you been able to, and you know what? I'm getting excited and I don't want to do that. And I've seen your clients get upset and my thought process is with them 100% on everything that they did. Believe it or not, I truly believe that as a parent, they did what they should have done. But their inability to just put up a wall for a moment and just imagine what Chris and Roberta were going through on their side. And you're saying to me, oh, it's the same. I'm not telling you it's the same. It's different, but it's traumatic nonetheless. And it was so sincere because we were truly hopeful. With the situation we were in, we were hopeful that Gabby would be reunited with her family. So if you want to say to me, is this my statement? Yes. I issued this on behalf of Chris and Roberta, 
If you want me to say I need to be included in that, I stand by this statement, as sure as I am sitting in this chair. But you and your clients had the ability to address the situation for the petitos and let them know where their daughter was. Objection. No, we did not. It's difficult to believe. Hang on. Is that a statement? Yes. It's an amazingly inappropriate statement. But it's a statement and I stand by it. It's not a statement to stand by or not stand by. It has no place in a deposition. I don't know what you're standing by. You knew she was going to be reunited with her family alive, correct? Objection to the form. I can tell you this. Independent information I have from Chris and Roberta. Because I had no way of knowing one way or the other any information I had from any other source's privileged information, and I can't divulge to you. Did anyone else besides the laundries review the statement before it was released? And that's another good question. I consulted with Tom and Devin, and that would be Tom Fleener and Devin Peterson on the 14th. And you may have an email or two from that. My recollection was that I don't remember where I was on the morning of the 14th, I believe I was in court. My recollection, knowing that they were a couple of hours behind us, is that Tom Fleener had caught or he had something going on, had court or he had something going on. And we talked about it briefly in the morning. And then I had to go into court. And then when I got out of court, he was in court. And the gist of it was, Mr. Riley, is that yes, we all believe that this would be good language. Whether or not they saw the actual draft when it was put out to print, if you will. Because, as you can imagine, a lot of these conversations were taking place on telephones while we're driving to court or coming home from court, and it was very frantic. And the three of us, meaning Tom, Devin, and myself, all agreed something needed to be said to stem this. Something needed to be said on behalf of Chris and Roberta Laundry. Did this address or help in any way the people who were out in the street in front of the house? Let me rephrase the question. After this statement was issued, did the crowds thin out? Did the harassment stop? I'm going to preface my answer once again. I truly truly, whether you believe it or not, because that doesn't matter to me. I truly do think your clients did nothing wrong. I don't because that's what they should have done. That's what I would have done and perhaps more. However, I needed, however, I issued this on the 14th and the crowds, I just lost my spot. What page are we on? 119. Mm -hmm. And the crowds went wild and they cheered and they lit up their torches and came forward with their pitchforks and banged on the laundry's door and death threats kept coming. And then to make it even a little bit better. And again, rightfully so, your client, Joseph Petito, goes on television as he should and begs for help finding his daughter as he should, and and I don't fault him for that. But what I do fault him for is going on public television 
and saying these are bad people. Do not associate with the laundries. They are horrible. Even if you rent them a library book, you should rethink it. You should rethink how bad these people are. They are terrible, horrible people live on public television for all of the world to see. So do I think that things calm down with this letter? No, they did not. No. Let me finish my answer, counselor. Do I think this letter subsided anything? No, I don't. I think your clients and their attorney at that time fueled the fires that they wanted to fuel. And the result was that it got worse for my client and your clients couldn't understand that. And I get it. I do. So you think. So now you think you can go. Or So now you can go. Thank you. So you think it was their intent to harm your clients and not find their daughter? Absolutely no. Let me rephrase that. I should have waited before I answered. I think it was definitely their intent to find their daughter 100%, which is why I said at least three times now, maybe more. I do not fault them for what they did. I do not fault them for the valiant efforts and Joe Petito saying, listen, I've got a big debt to pay to the world. And kudos to them for getting the world behind them. Kudos to them. But my clients were the subject of a Salem witch hunt. I live in a society where we don't go out people's homes, where we let the rule of law govern, where we let courts decide what's right and what's wrong. Your clients fueled the fires. Your clients put more and more pressure on my side without ever giving a thought that, hey, hey, just maybe, so unbelievable to you and your clients, just maybe Chris and Roberta didn't have the information that you so desperately wanted. Why would they have sympathy for your clients when it's your client's son and he was your client was the cause of all of this? Objection. And here's the thing. I had said to you just a moment ago, we don't want sympathy. I'm not asking for sympathy. I've got news for you. My client was the cause of all this. We can go down that path if you want. Sure. Let's go down that path. Let's not go down that path. Let's go down that path. From what I've learned from public sources, Brian ended Gabby's life, right? We all know that. We all know that as we're sitting here. But you want to talk about people, what people could do and could not do. Chris and Roberta Laundry and myself, completely unaware of the incident in Moab on the 12th. Completely unaware. I sat through transcripts. I'm sorry. I'm getting flustered. I sat through two depositions. One of Nicole Schmidt and one of Joe Petito, both of whom knew full well what was going on. And I believe it was Joe Petito who said he was on the phone for 45 minutes, afraid that Gabby was going to be arrested for assaulting Brian. Those were his words, not mine. It's a horrible, horrible thing that happened. And don't get me wrong. It is terrible. Did they pick up the phone and call Chris? Did Joe call Chris? No. Did Joe call Roberta? No. Did Nicole call Chris? No. Did Nicole call Roberta? No. And this is not about being sad and looking for sympathy or revenge because we didn't know anything about that until it was plastered on TV. And I called Chris and Roberta and said, what the fuck? We didn't know. So if you want to point fingers and you want to set forth, hey, 
It's all your fault. You know what? This is tragic. What happened here was tragic, Mr. Riley, for Gabby Petito, for Brian Laundry, for the Petito family, and for all of the Laundry family. It was tragic all around. Why should Joe and Nicole have picked up the phone to call your clients? Woo! It's getting hot in here. We just got zarred. Woo! It's getting hot in here with Berlino, man. Woo! (laughs) This is crazy. I can't believe he's Uh, saying this shit. I know. I'm having a hard time holding back and keeping in my Bertolino form. He's pissing me off. Mm, it's bad. It's really bad. Thank. Oh, my God. A czar. 350 czars. Damn. Wow. Woo. Thank you. Bert is really cocky, isn't he? Okay. Let's keep going. Mm. I had to fan myself. Woo. He is... <laughs> Spicy. Is that is that Rupert? Oh, you can hear him. I hear him. Let him in. He wants to come in. Wow. <laughs> he does. Hold on. Go let him in. Rupert is her like I don't know seventeen. I don't know fifty year old cat. Rupert. Rupert's the bomb. We love Rupert. <laughs> Hope you guys are enjoying this read-along. Let me know. We've been going for an hour already. Holy smokes. Mama She, been a member for 26 months. Thank you. And Steve says, hello, pretty ladies. Hello, Steve. Thank you for your super chat. Did you get the rupees in? I have. Okay. How old is Rupert? He's just going to meow louder now, though. How old is he? And like 18. Yeah, I said he was 17. 18. Well, I said 17 and then I said 50. <laughs> Are you going to show us Rupert? Yeah. Oh, thank you. I can't see. Wait. There's Rupert, you guys. There, oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, my God. I love him. <laughs> Everybody meet Rupert. Isn't he the best? <laughs> Potato is touching the mic. Is he drooling? <laughs> no. Oh. He's got white whiskers. Oh, those are his whiskers. <laughs> He's got white whiskers. I love, love, love Rupert. Jenny W is in chat. Hi, Jenny. It's been a minute. Can you hear him purring? We do. <laughs> oh, he sounds like a garbage disposal. <laughs> I love Rupert. Thank you for that. We needed that. We needed that little uh, emotional support moment. He's never he's he's never been on a live before. I know. And he grabbed the mic. He's like, "Let me just take it off, take it I over." <laughs> mm, Rupert. All right, back to Bert. Whew. I think it's twenty five. Why should Joe and Nicole? I think that's where we are. 
Oh, I said that bit. Oh, you did? did Okay, it's my turn. Yeah, go ahead and ask Mm -hmm. me the question. Can you repeat that question, please? (laughs) Why should Joe and Nicole have picked up the phone to call your clients? Their daughter just assaulted their son. Do you think maybe it would have been important to say, hey, guys, Chris and Roberta, maybe... Just maybe we should intervene here and intervene here and do something about this. Or maybe, Mr. Riley, maybe just let him know. And I want to be 100% clear. Looking beyond welcome. And I want to be 100% clear. So you can't twist this in any way. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm not saying this for revenge. Is this this happening live? Are we getting these members now? Someone donated 20 memberships. Oh, my God. Hush. Wow. Holy shiz. Thank you so much. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I was like, why why does this keep coming up? We got 20 of them. Thank you so much, Hush Pop. Welcome, new members. I kept popping up. I'm like, wait a minute. Is are all these people joining right now? (laughs) La di da, frag. (laughs) We've got 20 alerts. (laughs) Who's next? Join Discord. Is that a cigar? We're getting lots of Elon tonight. Welcome, Kimberly. All right, who's next? (laughs) Fernando! (laughs) Y'all thought you were hearing things. I know, me too. (laughs) Or is that a cigar? Good grandma, welcome, Justice Jedi. Welcome, Leslie. Debbie Deb, thank you for your super sticker. We'll consider this our intermission. <laughs> Tammy G. Intermission. Twenty memberships. That's amazing. I've never had anybody donate 20 members. (laughs) Nisi, welcome. Hush pup, don't be sorry. This is awesome. We're just waiting for the next one to roll. Looking beyond said it's not a cigar. Rick, what's up, Rick? Slick Rick. I love it too, Hush Pop. This is amazing. Is this is <laughs> so user. <laughs> Thank you, Hush Pop. <laughs> Texas Ranger too. Welcome back, Texas. Lynn Marie. Welcome, Lynn Marie. 
What's up, Island? So is that so a joint? Welcome, Christy P. Or is it a cigar? We got 5,000 until 100K. Woohoo! It's not going to be long. Gocha! Or is it a cigar? Gocha, welcome. Thank you, good grandma, for your super sticker. You guys are awesome. So is that a so joint? Just me, welcome. Or is it a or cigar? Is it a cigar? <laughs> Yay, it's set up. So is that a joint? Or is it a cigar? Welcome, good grandma. Cheryl T says it's never a cigar. Thanks for the other day about the Jets. What are the Jets? C -c -c Cindy and the Jets. Nice. <laughs> That's all I was thinking. All right, Elon. Hush, you are the goat of this stream for sure. All right, Mr. Excuse me, Mr. Riley. Let's continue. Are you ready to continue, Mr. Riley? Where were we? Um, I think we I still? think I was still answering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a hundred percent clear, so you don't twist this. As oh, I already read that. There is no doubt in anyone's mind that Brian could took Gabby's life, and that is tragic. That's a very interesting suggestion you make about them picking up the phone when that's exactly the advice that you gave your clients not to do when you learned what was happening with Gabby. And I knew you would say that, Mr. Riley. So thank you very much for that opportunity because your clients were not, to my knowledge, represented by counsel at the time and did not receive legal advice telling them not to call. Yeah, smile and smirk. They were not under the advice of counsel, whereas my clients were under the advice of counsel and were following the advice of counsel. And they were told not to talk to anyone. Your clients just chose that on their own. I have not once heard you or the laundries say they wanted to call Joe Petito or Nicole Schmidt, but you told them not to. Objection to the form. Have you heard them say that? You know what, Mr. Riley? I wanted to call Joe Petito myself. But you didn't. No, I didn't. I couldn't. And here I am now with my opportunity to say so, and I'm sorry that it came to this. I really, truly am. But if you're looking for me to come forth and say to you that we meant any ill will towards your, to your clients, you're dead wrong, whether you believe it or not. In your statement in open court, that this statement that I issued on the 14th, if it were sincere, your honor, we wouldn't be here. You should eat those words, my friend. You ever consider how that message you put out 
would affect Gabby's family? I did. What did you consider? And it's funny because I heard Joe Petito testify to some gruesome things. And it's heartbreaking to hear it. It truly is. I know you don't believe it, but it's true. <clears throat> I was outside crying earlier in the break we just took. I'm crying because I did everything I could. Everything I could in this case. And we did everything right, if you will, from a legal perspective. You may not like it from a moral perspective, and I get that. But we did everything we were supposed to. So you go forward and say, what was the question? Did I consider how they were feeling? I absolutely did. That was not my question. My question was, did you consider how this statement that you issued might affect them? Yes. And my hope, my true hope, my true hope was that they could at least see that. They could at least see that the other side, the other side of this equation was in a quandary, having a difficult time. And I saw Nicole cry many times about that when she puts up her fingers in open court and says two families, two families. I get it because she's focused on herself and her family. I understand. I truly do. And from her perspective, if I had to sit in their shoes, I don't know that I could see the other side either. But my role, unfortunately, Mr. Riley, as an attorney engaged to assist his family, my role was to protect them. And sometimes, sometimes that is contrary to what your role is in protecting your clients. Did I consider them? Yes. Did I say anything nasty ever about Gabby? Did I say anything nasty, excuse me, about your clients? Did I ever prior to this day say that Joe Petito should have not went on national TV calling people he never even met, calling them horrible people? Don't even rent them a library book? That's how horrible they are? Did I ever say anything mean to the public about that? No. My question to you was, did you ever consider how this statement might affect Gabby's family? I did. And he answered, asked and answered. It hasn't been answered. He said, yes, that was the answer. The answer was yes. And I hope that they would receive it, knowing that we were truly on our side of the equation at that moment in time, at that moment in time, heartfelt for what they were going through and that this letter could hopefully, this statement would hopefully convey to them in some way, shape or form that they could see what was happening on our side. When you get to a point, we need another break. No, we don't. You considered that with the information that you had, that you were giving the family false hope that Gabby was going to be found alive. I object to the form. Again, you have to be careful in the way you answer this because attorney-client privilege hasn't been waived. So without getting into any of that, you can answer the question. Can you repeat the question, please? Did you give any consideration to the fact that this letter might give false hope to the family that Gabby was still alive? I did not. You made a statement twice that Brian was grieving when he left on the 13th or the 14th, whatever that date was. 
Do you recall making that statement? I do not. Not firsthand. I've been advised that I made it. You don't recall making it? I do not. Well, at some point, you tried to walk it back. You don't recall that either? I object to the form. I did not recall that until just the other day. Recall what the other day? As I sit here, it's difficult to put that in correct terminology. I did not have a recollection at all of using the term grieving until I saw it in your complaint, number one. Number two, I do not have a recollection of walking it back until reviewing an interview, I think, with Ashley Banfield. Well, there was an interview you did with Kristen Thorne. That was the first interview you did where you said that. We do know that Brian's parents knew that Brian was grieving before he left their home. I don't have an independent recollection of saying that. Okay. Another, well, I guess the quote was, Chris and Roberta knew that their son Brian was grieving. They knew he was so upset. You don't recall that? As I said to you, I don't recall making that statement. I'm not disputing it was made. If you're reading it and it's documented, so be it. Do you know anything about whether Brian was grieving or upset when he left on the 13th or the 14th? Let me ask a different way. Did Chris or Roberta tell you that Brian was grieving or upset when he left on the 13th or 14th to go for a hike? The answer to that is no. They did not tell me that. And if I recall, as you so pointed out, that I was trying to walk it back, I was trying to clarify that when I was subsequently, when I was asked subsequently, to giving that statement, and I was asked about it, I said, I had been using the term grieving for probably two days in respect to Chris and Roberta as they were grieving and mourning the loss of their son. I had a very long day, and I'm basically repeating what I saw on Banfield because now I remember it. Now I remember doing that, and I was in my office, and there was throngs of reporters coming in, and the staff let somebody come in late. It was very late. And yes, I use that word. And I said I believed Brian was grieving or something to that effect, so I'm told. Sitting here now, I have no independent recollection of even giving that interview. But having read it, sure, I said it. Okay. It's my information that it was on about October 12th of 2021 when the coroner out of Wyoming released the approximate time of Gabby's death. Do you have any information about that? I don't recall anything about the coroner. Do you recall when you first learned when Gabby had passed away? Let me ask, let me ask the question differently. No, I'll go with that question. You recall when you first learned that Gabby had died. To the extent that the difficulty with a question like that. I'll rephrase it. 
Do you recall when it was that you learned that the coroner stated the approximate time that Gabby passed away? I'm not giving you a hard time. I truly did not understand that. <clears throat> but I'm going to ask for a readback, just in case, because I know you're trying to vocalize the question. <laughs> I'm trying to respect the attorney-client privilege. I understand. And I'm not giving you a hard time. I just don't understand it. I'll rephrase. No, I don't want you to rephrase it. I want to read back. If I'm understanding that question, you're asking me when I learned that the coroner said something and the answer is no. Okay. I'll represent to you it was October 12th of 2021 that he released that statement. I'm going to show you what has been marked as Exhibit 10. Exhibit 10 is an indictment from the United States District Court for the District of Wyoming. United States of America versus Brian Christopher Laundrie. Number 21CR113S. That was filed on September 22nd of 2021. And count one accuses Brian of utilizing the intent to defraud a Capital One card belonging to Gabby. I'm paraphrasing. Would you agree? So it seems. Okay. When did you become aware of this indictment? I presume when it was issued. I'm going to show you what has been marked as Exhibit 11. Exhibit 11 is a string. I'm guessing it's a text between you and someone named Anjanette Levy. She works at the Law and Crime Network and you said, it's my understanding that the arrest warrant, let me back up, it says, I will send the comment I put out yesterday, which you probably already had seen. This is on September 4th of 2021, and you continued. It is my understanding that the arrest warrant for Brian Laundrie is related to activities occurring after the death of Gabby Petito and not related to her actual demise. The FBI is focusing on locating Brian, and when that occurs, the specifics of the charges covered under the indictment will be addressed in the proper forum. If I'm correct, the coroner released the time of death on October 12th of 2021. How was it you knew on September 24th of 2021 that the arrest warrant was not related to activities that occurred prior to Gabby's passing? So again, let me object. To the extent it would call for any communications between you and Brian, you could not respond. But if you have a non-privileged answer that you can give, you can give a non-privileged answer. Mr. Riley. As you well know, I responded to countless press inquiries relating to this. To take a snippet from one, from two years ago and ask me about it, I have no independent recollection. As a reasonable, somewhat logical person, I can tell you that this is dated 924. Gabby's remains were found on the 19th, confirmed, I think, on the 20th. Maybe I got those date wrong. dates wrong. I apologize. No disrespect. Perhaps I'm thinking that they, somebody somewhere said it was a date of death. 
I remember reading multiple times before or after this. I do not know what they were placing as her cause of death. We think she died on the 27th. That was the date. Whether I knew at this time or not, I couldn't tell you. And sitting here today, I have no recollection of this specific text. What I can tell you is that from the date of this text message, it appears that the world knew that Gabby was dead at this point in time. I understand that. But the question is, how did you know that the indictment had nothing to do with the activities that occurred prior to her passing? Again, I could not tell you, taking one snippet two years later of countless text messages with press. <clears throat> Let's take a 10 minute break. And if I could have this room, I would appreciate it. Okay, so we still have, I know it's a lot, dude. We are on page 140 and there's 191 pages. Mm -hmm. We've been going almost an I mean, hour and a half. Good amount. Yeah, I think we're going to have to do a part three on this one because it is so long. What are your thoughts? How many pages were there left? 138. I'm not good at math. <laughs> well, we're on page 140 of 191. So there's still 51 pages. So really this is, it should be in thirds, like a, a third part, because we'll be here for two more hours to finish it. So I think we should do a third part. That way it's easy to, to play back to. Mm -hmm. Like we can go on for maybe another five, 10 minutes and then wherever we stop, we'll stop there and then we'll pick up and do part three. Sound good? Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. So we're, we took the 10 minute break. Now we're back. When did you notify law enforcement? And we'll find a good stopping point and we'll quit there. When did you notify law enforcement that Brian had left home? As I said earlier, either Monday the 13th or Tuesday morning. Who did you contact? Brian Gee. And again, your question was, who did I contact? That's not my statement. I was communicating with Brian Gee at the FBI multiple times. Some days it was once or twice. Some days it was more than that. But my recollection, I want to be clear on this because I know it's a bone of contention. I conveyed to Brian Gee of the New York FBI either Monday night, the 13th, or Tuesday morning, the 14th, that Brian didn't come home tonight. He didn't come home last night, and the conversation I had with him was with you. Okay. And if your concern in issuing the statement on the 14th was to try to make people leave and stop harassing your clients, why didn't you include in the statement that Brian was no longer in the home? I'm hesitating, Mr. Riley, and I'm conveying to you why I'm hesitating so you don't think bad things. I believe that was an ethical dilemma that was presenting itself to me. How so? Because as an attorney representing Brian, I had certain considerations on his account to think about, and that dilemma aided me all week. And eventually, I called for an ethical opinion on, I think, Thursday night or Friday regarding that dilemma. What was the dilemma? I can't answer that without giving attorney-client privilege. Whatever objection you need to do for the record. Based on the question. You don't need to object. 
He's an attorney. If he raises it, I'm fine with that being on the record. I want to be sure. Just objection to the privilege. That's fine. At that point in time, was there a conflict between you representing Brian and also representing his parents? I didn't see the conflict at that point in time. I still didn't see a conflict because I had assisted in getting Brian counsel in Wyoming where Chris and Roberta were in Florida. And as I've set forth, and as you've questioned me on, they didn't need counsel in that regard. And it wasn't until, as we established earlier, the 11th or the 12th, that all of a sudden things happened or things changed and the scope of communications and the representations of Chris and Roberta was changing. And that in itself was a dilemma. The Northport Police announced, announced, I think the chief of the Northport Police announced on September 16th that he, all we knew, where Brian is. Do you recall that? I certainly do. Did you contact him to ask him where Brian was? I did not have to. What happened was that statement came out and I don't know what time of day it was made. And I can't tell you when I made this phone call, but I called Chris and Roberta and said, Great news. They now know where he is. And Chris and Roberta said, we thought the same thing. And I'm going to repeat. Maybe I didn't call Chris and Roberta. Maybe Chris and Roberta called me, but I get it. You're looking for who called who. I'm telling you, I don't remember who called who. I had a conversation with Chris and Roberta on the 16th, and we were elated that they knew where Brian was. And I said to Roberta and Chris, like, have you heard anything? And they said, no. I'm like, they must have found him. How did they know where he was if we didn't know? And the next day, which was the 17th, I got the phone call from law enforcement. We assumed that law enforcement had him on the 16th. That's what we assumed. Whether they had him in Northport, Atlanta, we did not know. But that statement to us was actually one of relief. So why didn't you call Northport to find out where he was? I don't know. I can't tell you how things played out at that point in time. Maybe there was a conversation with the FBI. Maybe there was something to do with Northport. I honestly do not know. I do not remember what happened. I can tell you what happened on the 17th. What happened on the 17th? So on the 17th, as the day is going on, I got communications with Brian Gee all day long. And I'm going to say somewhere around 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, Brian Gee sends me a text message. I believe it may have been a phone call. I think it was a text. Then we got word that your client was seen in Tampa and we want to do a wellness check. And I said to Brian, I said, Brian, and now it's refreshing my memory. I said, Brian, you know, where did you get this from? And he indicated that he didn't know who it was, just an anonymous call that he received in Tampa. I had a conversation with him along the lines of, we heard that the police chief, we heard what the police chief said last night. We thought you had him. He said, no, we don't. I said, Brian, if you remember, I told you on Monday or Tuesday that he never came home. And he said to me something, the effect of like, yes, I remember that. And here is where I'm going to put a piece of the puzzle together for you. I believe that Brian Gee in New York never conveyed that because it was just in a conversation. Hey, he didn't come home last night. I don't think he conveyed that to Northport. I don't think he conveyed it to the liaisons at the FBI. And I think that's where the chief, whatever his name is, 
Garrison or whatever their name is. I don't really care. But that whole confusion came out with Northport PD not knowing what the left hand and the right hand were doing with each other. And that was my suspicion because it was the only thing that made sense. I was dealing with Detective Keller in Northport, who was the liaison for the FBI. Loretta Lynch, I think her name was. They had no clue. But Brian Gee knew he was told. And as I said to you earlier, when they told me they were good on that date, that he left and the communication to them was good. I was good. I honestly didn't care what the press thought at that point, because to me, the only goal is we're good with law enforcement. We're good. And I pushed them back on Friday night, Friday afternoon. I said, no, you're not doing a wellness check. You're not going in the house. And in part, that was personal. I was in the middle of doing something with my daughter. And I know this like it was yesterday because I pushed back and did not want them to go in the house only for the well-being of my daughter, who was having her own issues with all this, as you may imagine. And that being said, we eventually came to an understanding that the FBI would go in after I was done having dinner with my daughter. And I know that sounds silly with all the things that were going on, but you know what? The world was still going on for other people as well, and that included myself and my daughter. We went to dinner. I called them when I was done. I said, okay, you're all right to go in the house. They went down to the house, and I'll let you ask whatever questions you want next. So what happens when they went to the house? So we agreed that the, I think it was Loretta. I want to say her last name is Lynch. I believe it's Lynch, Detective Keller, and there might have been two other people. We agreed that we would have a FaceTime conversation with me. So I was on, I think it was Loretta's cell phone and my cell phone. It might have been Detective Keller and we had a FaceTime communication. And they were asking Chris and Roberta about Brian. And at this point, we were now all on the same page and they were fully aware that Brian had left on Monday. And I believe they even had surveillance, which I've seen later that he left the house on Monday. So it was a non-issue for us. It might have been an issue for the public, but it wasn't an issue at that point in time. As they were asking questions, I would approve the questions. I would allow them to answer the questions and they indicated to us they could not conduct, conduct an investigation to look for Brian unless we filed a missing persons report. And some of the confusion there was that we called them and said Brian is missing and that we waited four or five days. We did no such thing. We told them that he was missing. Well, we didn't say missing. We said he didn't come home last night. And they knew because they saw the car go to the preserve. Who saw the car go to the preserve? They put the ticket on the car that said we're going to tow it and they did nothing. Oh, I get it. And then you may or may not be aware of the confusion. We thought Roberta was Brian Laundry, and it wasn't. <laughs> this is the worst part. <clears throat> and then you may or may not be aware of the confusion. We thought Roberta was Brian Laundry, and it wasn't. That was not on us. That was their mistake. But on the 17th, we filed the missing persons report at the insistence and request and with consent of the FBI in order for them to commence their investigation into where Brian could be located. And I believe that part of the reason they didn't want me to speak the following week is that they didn't want me to talk about all the disarray that they were having. That's my belief. I have some other beliefs on it too, but that's my belief. That being said, we filed a report 
They took some of Brian's possessions so that they could track him, if you will, with dogs or whatever they needed to do. They knew he was in the preserve, and it concluded. It was late at night. It was probably two and a half hours. That interview conversation when, quote, we reported him missing, which was merely the filling out of a form after they requested to come in and do a wellness check. That's all I have. Thank you. No questions. If it's ordered, we will read it. We'll take a copy. I do not need a copy at this point. I just want a copy if it's ordered. I'll get back to you if we need to order. Da, 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 da. Oh, that's it. The rest is the rest is done. the index. <gasps> we did it, Potato. Uh-huh. I'm so glad we didn't stop. Yeah. I would have been like, oh, my God, we finished. <laughs> we have like two pages. <laughs> we got really through trouble. it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So that was a lot. It was a lot. Thank you for doing it. Um, Yeah. So that the the main things in this one were the perp walk. And the fact that (laughs) the FBI and the Northport police weren't communicating and that screw up. Crazy. Shell says they're all liars. I know. I can't believe we did it. I forgot that the rest was index potato. <laughs> oh, my God. We just got gifted 50. Oh, my God. What? <gasps> oh, my gosh. I'm going to like, I'm going to pass out. 50. Holy shit. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. 50. Oh my god. Look at all the new members. Me either. I was floored by 50 or 20. Oh my god. That's a lot of Elon. It is a lot of Elon. I might have to mute Elon. How do I get rid of him? Oh my god. Look at all those members. Wow. Thank you so much, Hush Pup. You are amazing. I am floored. I've never had anyone give so many. Look at all of them. (laughs) Look at all of them, Potato. They just keep coming. (laughs) (laughs) 70 new members. (laughs) Holy shit. Wow. Okay, I just turned off the alert box. Let me see if I can mute the alert box, maybe. It's coming through on. (laughs) Hold on. Or is it a cigar? I can't. (laughs) That is so freaking cool. Thank you so much. So is that a joint? (laughs) So kind. Or is it a cigar? (laughs) It's definitely not a cigar, Elon, at this point. (laughs) Damn, guys. Welcome, all the new members. So is that a joint? 70 new members in the last hour. Is it a cigar? See, I don't remember. Wow. I don't remember how I got this on here, but. So is that a joint? That's <laughs> a lot of Elon. Or is it a cigar? I'm trying to figure out how did I do that? Because I hooked Streamlabs with this. I am so geeked. That is so amazing. So is that a joint? <laughs> Oh, I got it. 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 We're going to turn that. Oh, there we go. 
Thank you so, so much. Now we won't hear him. We'll see him on the other screen. 50, 70 memberships in this stream. Wow. Okay. So everybody who was gifted a membership, if you doubt, if you're not on Discord, download Discord on your phones and then connect your YouTube, right, Potato? Connect, go to, go to connections and then add your YouTube account and you should see all of the channels pop up. Mm-hmm. Hush pup, you yeah, you got to go. You got to go in via your profile on Discord, and then in the settings, it has a bit that says connections. So you go into connections, and at the top, it says add, and then there's it brings up a list of social media and stuff. So you've got to scroll down, find YouTube. It'll ask you to log into your account on YouTube, and then Discord does its magic and links them up and then you can see everything damn thank you for explaining that so yeah i mean you guys join the discord i can't believe we got through this so we we're not done though i'm still gonna do chris mm-hmm. oh oh i was getting a facetime i still gotta do chris and then i think there's um joe petito and nicole schmidt and i would like to do those as well i just i want to hear all angles of what was going on because we we know a lot about what was going on with the potatoes because they were you know public but there's probably some things we didn't know as well i would have to imagine mm-hmm. hush pup said she needed yeah. to hear these depositions i guess so well i'm glad we were delivered <laughs> <laughs> thank you so 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 much i mean that is that's out of this freaking world it's 70 amazing <laughs> wow I feel like a real YouTuber. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm just sitting in my house doing that. No, really. I mean, that is just, that is really, really amazing. That is really cool. That's like a milestone for me because I've never had that happen. So thank you so much. And I will be doing Chris and the Petito and Schmidt depositions as well. So we'll get them all done. And I want to give a huge thank you to Mr. Riley, a.k.a. Potato. For being the lawyer through this. <laughs> I know it's not easy dealing with Bert's attitude. Mm-mm. He got a little spicy there for a minute. But I did not. I don't. I don't appreciate I can't it. Believe, I can't believe that they were expecting the petitos to get in contact with the laundries. Like what and to, planet are you on? Yeah. And to even like compare it like. Oh, well, when Gabby was about to get arrested for assault, you didn't call the laundries. We we just watched that today again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She had injuries. Like what in the. It was bros before hoes with those cops. And it was sick. It was sick. Disgusting. Gabby gets. Oh, you can go take a shower for four or five bucks over at the city. Whatever. And then Brian, oh, we're going to get you to a hotel. You can relax, watch TV, because you're the victim here. Give me a break. What a slap in the face for the Petitos after everything they've already mm-hmm. been through. To hear that, it, it blows my mind. Yep. It blows my mind. It's disgusting. They have no regrets, and they don't care. Nope. They don't care. Not at all. Man. We're going to be live tomorrow with Adam Montgomery starting at 845 in the morning. And we have 70 new members that could possibly be in the chat with us tomorrow. 
I am so grateful for each and every one of you. Thank you so, so much for watching. And again, thank you. Um, Audrey Cunningham. Yes, I'm following it. I'm watching. I'm following. Um, it, I watched an update tonight just to talk about that for a second. Um, I plan on putting something together after, you know, we can put all this together um, as things unfold. But I heard tonight that this McDougal and what a name. I mean, to be a McDougal, that's probably one of the la worst last names you can get. But McDougal has been taking them to different areas. Which is what's hmm. crazy to me. They, they said he took them to like four or five different spots, but they still haven't found the little girl. But they did say tonight oh that they do believe that that was her backpack. So he's admitting that he left the house with her. They said that he lived on the, in a trailer on the property. Now, news news alert, when you have little kids, you don't let randos just park their camper on your property when you have kids, especially young girls. It's not smart. So this dude was known to sometimes take her to the to the bus stop. Family friend? I don't know. But anyways, he admitted to to leaving the house with her. He's the, he admitted to be the last one to see her, but they still haven't gotten to the point where he says, I took her to the bus stop or I didn't. So he's taken them to all these locations. I don't know what he's telling them. Ooh, Rupert's not happy. Yeah, I, I know. Who's he attacking? Like, he wants food. This is what he does. If I'm still up, he's like, feed me. <laughs> That's how he wants in the food? Morning. Yes. Oh, my God. Louder and louder and louder. He sounds pissed. I'd be giving Rupert some food. I mean, he's 17. Let him eat. <laughs> Midnight snack is what he wants. Me and Rupert can get a pizza. We can share... <laughs> Could you? Danielle says her cat attacks me when I, when he wants food too. Oh my god! <laughs> he's yeah, he's just jumped up on the chair next to me, so he's probably gonna meow really loud into my. Oh, I want to hear him. <laughs> Tell us all about it, Rupert. Tell us all about it. Terry Jones says Rupert is my leader. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We have someone in chat who knows McDougal. Mimsy. What? My old high school friend was with him that day fishing. With McDougal? What? On the day. Did your friend get questioned by the police? I would hope so. Oh, look at Rupert. Look at his tongue. <laughs> his, his, his tongue. His tongue hangs out, guys. Look. Oh, that's perfect. Look at Rupert, y'all. He's got no teeth. Oh, Ruby. So his little tongue <laughs> pokes out. He is awesome. <laughs> she spoke to the FBI. It was a woman? She spoke to the FBI yesterday? Your friend knows him, not you. McDougal. <gasps> he picked her up walking to the food pantry. Yeah, he's in jail. Unrelated charges. Un unrelated charges. But he admitted well, to being in jail for. I don't know. I don't I don't know that much. He wants some ice cream, says good grandma. Give him some ice cream. He can lick it with his little tongue. <laughs> <laughs> I love Rupert. He's so freaking cute. Oh, Shell says for adult. 
all hail Rupert. <laughs> oh, I love Rupert. God, he's so cute. So now she keeps him in. He gets mad because he doesn't go out anymore, right? He's still like staying in. No. He used to hang out at the yeah, lady next door and get fed. He did. <laughs> yeah. But um, no, nah, he doesn't go out because all the all the young toms come around and try and get him. And he's an old man, so he can't defend himself. But he still hates me for it. <laughs> well, it looks like he <laughs> looks like he loves you. His little tongue is still sticking out. Is he a rag doll? That's what. No, he's a Persian. <gasps> he's a Persian, Danielle. She said he looks like her old cat Ashton. Yeah, Ashton. I have to shave him because he doesn't look after his long fur. <laughs> so he's a short fur. <laughs> Ashton sounds like a relative of Rupert. <laughs> Rupert and Ashton. Another random fun fact about Rupert is that Rupert likes baths. <laughs> he does. He had one today, actually. Oh my god, he is fresh. <laughs> she puts him in the tub, and he just lets her wash him like a dog. I've I never seen to, such. Though, he doesn't. He, he doesn't clean himself. Oh, Rupert is so, so loved. <laughs> they just took her report. Oh wow. Wow. I'm going to see if she wants to come on the show. <laughs> see if she wants to talk about um her friend McDougal. Is she defending McDougal? How does she feel about McDougal? McDunkle? I still can't get over seeing 50 memberships up there. It trips me out. I know. My cat fell in the tub when he was kitten and that was it. Fear and acted. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Aw, my mom had a white Persian. The cat only liked my mom. Her house had white fur everywhere. Oh, yeah, we have black fur everywhere. <laughs> Mims, Mims says, "Girl, she is crazy. Not for YouTube. <laughs> At least you're honest." <laughs> McDougal's friend is nuts like McDougal. No, no, you know, I just think that I don't know what the hell he did with her, but God knows like if he had been living there, what he had been doing to her prior to actually, you know, this. It's sad to say, think about, but man, you got to be careful, man. You can't just have losers come park their trailers on your property and live there when you got children, you know, ick. I don't give a damn how long you've known them either. If they're, if they have criminal history like that. I guess he was not. There's another thing I picked up from the latest press conference was that he was not required to register as a sex offender. And the cop said, check with the counties that he got in trouble in and ask them about that because he couldn't really say anything. She says you may lose views. <laughs> no, she was scared of him and she is not scared of anything. Why'd she go fishing then? Just because she saw him? Does he do drugs, Mimsy? Do you know if he's on any kind of illegal drugs? McDougal looks like a mad Viking. He does. He looks scary. So sick of these scary. creeps, man. I'm so sick of them. 
But yeah, I'm definitely, definitely been following it. Even though I haven't done any lives or videos on it, I am definitely following that 11-year-old girl. He has a swastika on his chest. Wasn't, wasn't there a press conference today? Mm -hmm. There was a short one. That's the one I watched where they said that he was taking them out to different sites. Oh, okay. And then they also asked for the public to stay away from the, I think it's like an interstate or something. They said that um, they just want their volunteers and the cops out there because there's a lot of people that want to help, which is great. But um, I think they've got areas that they're focusing on due to whatever information he gave them. So she was fishing with him. Did she see the backpack? Because I heard the backpack was near the water. And then the other thing I didn't know was if they had sent divers into that water. So is that where she was fishing with him? Because that's wild. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, dad should be held liable. Yeah, I mean, mom didn't have custody. Dad had custody. And I guess there was grandma, grandpa, and other families living in that house. And he had his trailer parked on the property. I wonder if he planted the backpack and she's really somewhere else. He's not registered, just FYI, and he lives behind the grandma's house. Yeah, they said he's not registered. And they said, look at the counties he's gotten in trouble in to find out why. Like, that's not his. It was. It didn't happen in his jurisdiction, I guess. So She said he took her to that area, but they have spoke of a few so not 100% sure which she referred to. I mean, did he actually have fishing gear and tackle and bait? That's what I'm wondering. Or was he just saying, hey, I'm going fishing? It's weird. That's a weird story. Mm. Creep town, dude. It doesn't sound good, though. It doesn't sound good for mm -mm. for the little girl at all. It's been four days. God. No bait, but he did have a cast net. Does he have a boat? That's a good question. Where does the mom live? Does she live nearby or is she in another state? That I never caught either. Hopefully they, they find her. I mean, no matter what. Judging by the company she keeps, Mimsy says, it's never good. But Grandma seems to not really have been actively involved in looking after her. What a nightmare. Sounds like a just a bad situation all around. Mom not having custody. Dad letting some creepo live at the house. It's probably grandma and grandpa's house. Who knows? These poor kids get thrown in the middle of this bullshit and have absolutely no choice in the matter, you know? I know. So was the dad not there when she went to school? Yeah, that I don't know. They just said today that sometimes he would take her to the bus stop. 
and that that day he was supposedly was taking her. So what happened? Well, and then there's another issue too because if she if she didn't show up for school, how come schools don't call home anymore? Like if I didn't show up at school, my school used to call the house and be like Jennifer's absent. Why is she absent today? Mm-hmm. So this little girl's they 11, should, right? 11. She doesn't get on the bus. Yeah. She doesn't go to school, but they don't know. So this guy had a good, what, seven, eight hours, nine hours. Mm-hmm. The mother hasn't seen her in years, says Michelle. It's an automated thing now. <laughs> See? Get a get a. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you have so so many PTO moms that want to be in that school where their kids are, right? They want to have eyes on their fucking kids. Give them that job. I mean, how hard is it? I hate the automated because you never press one. They never know if you get that call because you don't press one. They don't even call here. They send a text message. Really? <sighs> yeah. I mean, 11 years old. Saying, like, your child hasn't registered. 11 years old, though. Like, I don't know. I just think they should be a little mm-hmm. a little more uh, careful with these younger kids. I mean, maybe high school. Yeah, mm-hmm, maybe. Here they're not. Not even elementary? See, here our, our secondary schools are from age 11. So you have 11-year-old kids that are walking to and from school by themselves and stuff. And if they don't make it to school, you just get a text message saying, your child's not registered today. If you don't reply to it, they don't do anything, though. So your child could go missing at 11 years old. Right. And the school wouldn't know. So they're not worried about you it. You wouldn't know. They're just covering, they they're covering no. their ass by saying, we let the mom and dad know. Sorry, <laughs> not on us. Yeah, but literally ticking a box and that's it. It's not actual concern that the child hasn't turned up. She wasn't reported till after Miss, yeah, till like four after school. Michelle says they do here start right after, right off after attendance. Every place is different. They really should do that though. Mm-hmm. Because, and I, you know, and another thing too is these bus drivers know, these bus drivers know these kids probably better than anybody when they, when they pick them up every day and drop them off. They know who's, who's driving them. They know who's picking them up. They know if they're not there. So the question from that I have is, was her bus stop specifically for her or was there other students that would wait at the same bus stop as her? It sounds to me like the family trusted McDougal and didn't worry about McDougal being with that girl with age. What's her name? I'm sorry. Audrey. 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 Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Group stops. Hmm. So it sounds to me like he just got her in the car and took her where he wanted to take her. Well, hopefully, hopefully they find her and get some get some closure because that's not looking good. Four days. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even have her backpack. My son is five minutes late from coming home from school and I start to panic. 
Right. I mean, you know when your kids get home, you know. Yep. Jenny, talk to the bus driver is exactly what my husband said. First thing. Yeah, I'm telling you, my my ex-mother-in-law was a bus driver. She knew every damn thing that was going on with all those kids and their parents. Trust me, (laughs) they know. If she went in the lake near the dam, she could be swallowed whole by fish. What? There's that big of fish in there? The hell? How much did she weigh, you guys? Jenny said she was tiny for her age. She looks, I thought she was younger. When I heard she was 11, I was surprised. Yeah. I thought she was like seven or eight or eight or nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. Audrey Cunningham. Yeah, she does look younger than. Her age. Ugh. Okay, so McDougal ha- also has an eye that looks off. I know, what does that mean? Oh, swallowed whole by what? I mean, certainly they're not sharks. This must be his suburban. Oh, you can't see it, can you? My bad. I can see it on YouTube. Is it on YouTube? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> okay, so that so that must be his vehicle, the suburban. See, I didn't I didn't get all of these deets, but they found the backpack by the water from what I heard. So I will definitely catfish. I mean catfish do get huge. And they have. Mm. Michelle doesn't think anybody in the home really gave a shit. It's very sad. 35 pounds, maybe at 11. The heck? No, 75 pounds. It says age 11, four foot one, 75 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes. I got the flyer right here. 75 pounds. She was last seen wearing a black hoodie with a backpack that was camo or red Hello Kitty. They don't know which one. I mean, couldn't they narrow it down by looking in the house? (laughs) Wow. You'd think. That's messed up. I worry that McDougal was playing for time with all the red herrings because there was possibly trafficking. Just a thought. I don't like that either. Did they say blue? I don't know, Danielle. It says camo or red Hello Kitty. And this is 10 hours ago. Missing since 7 a.m. on Thursday, February 15th. Near the Lake Livingston State Park. So now the reward went from 2000 and now Crime Stoppers is offering a $10,000 reward. A 
$10,000 reward now. Malmo, I have no idea. Who gave the description? I don't know. And who said, why? how did they come up with 7 a.m.? Is that just the time she's supposed to get on the bus and she wasn't there? I don't know. She could be found alive. I mean, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. I hate to say, you know, we hate to like be doom and gloom because of the statistics, but there is always a chance. But after four days, no food, no water. And if she's left somewhere, I don't know. Where would she be? You know, and with who? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless he planned something, but he looks kind of like just the creepo that would just. Mm, he's scary looking. Mm-hmm. Like he looks evil. Horrible. He does. There was a text between this weirdo and mom to meet up so mom could see her. So you never know. Where's the mom live? I don't know. That's what I Far? Or is she local and had custody taken away? <laughs> he sounds like a baby. Oh, yeah. He sounds like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> I gave him some food as well. This is what I'm saying. As long as I'm staying in the kitchen, he wants food. He's never <laughs> he's never satisfied. He wants uh-uh. more. He's like, you're awake. <laughs> you can feed me. All right. Well. <laughs> It's late. I know it's late there. <coughs> I know it's one o'clock there. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Time for bed. I know. I got to be up at early. I got to be on here at 845 this, in the morning. So, yeah, you got caught. Yes, hopefully caught. We have caught t- tomorrow. Caught. <laughs> Luring the mom. Hmm. I wonder how well he knew the mom. Interesting. It's seven there. It's 8.07 here. I'm getting the yawns. Like you had when we first came up. I was like, knock it off. I passed them on. I was like, don't do that. It's contagious. <laughs> well, thank you so much, you guys. And man, Hush Pup, thank you again for the 70 members that that you gifted tonight. That is something else, man. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> she submitted to the court of the prior date and they gave him custody because she was a no-show. Mm. Well, I'm glad we finished. So, All right. Let's, let's scoot on out of here, Potato. We're going to run our credits and we're going to dance it out and go feed Rupert. Give him some treats. <laughs> he's not having anything he can go to bed <laughs> Rupert's going night night <laughs> hell no Dr. Melmo I would never let that guy around my kids no 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 alright well good night potato good night Mr. <laughs> Riley good night Mr. Bertolino <laughs> Roberta I, I don't like him even more now I do not she does not Uh-oh, know he's an absolute jerk 
He is a jerk. He was out to dinner with his. Oh, there's another thing that pissed me off. I was out to dinner with my daughter. You know, life was still going on for people. Like, you don't have to be such a jerk about it. Bring in your daughter when you're talking about this family who lost it. And he said his daughter was 25. So. Bring it all in. F off. You know, like, it's not like she's little, you know. All right, guys. See you in the morning. <laughs> Good night. Let's run our credits for the 50th time. Good night. Good night. Bye. Thanks again, <laughs> Hush Pup. I am just still, I'm still floored. All right. Bye. Where do you think you're going? Nobody's leaving. Nobody's walking out on this fun old fashioned family Christmas. No, no. We're all in this together. to check out my other videos and playlists for more true crime content and if that's not enough you can join our patreon don't have a tinfoil hat it's okay we'll make you one it's that easy see you guys in the next video see you later bye bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in maryland Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only maryland only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance please play responsibly for help visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm national harbor promotional not available in washington dc What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.